this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon Joe, my host, Nick and Dan. But, gentlemen, this is a special one, as people will know by the title. Uh, we are going to be talking to Pat Nevin about his recent book. I wouldn't say new because it's taken me a while to read it. Uh, but we even have the man himself on, Nick, Pat Nevin's Accidental Footballer, a memoir. So excited to share kind of what we've learned through this book and Pat in this episode. Yeah, I mean, it will it will surprise no one who's listened to our show for any amount of time that Pat is one of our absolute favorite guests that we've ever had on. We, we've nicknamed him Professor Pat. For all the knowledge that he has shared with us over the years and quizzes, and the quizzes, that he's given us. and the quizzes and yep. random questions that he surprises us with. And Pat, Pat should note that if we have time, I have a Chelsea quiz book here for him <laughs> uh, at the end of this uh, that I'm very excited about. But uh, welcome back to the show, Pat. We are we are super excited to talk to you. Uh, it's uh, great to be back on again. Um, I will immediately um, apologize to the listeners that my voice is a little bit croaky. Um, it's a cold, not COVID. Um, but I've been working quite a lot in the media over here recently, and I think I've talked too much. I think that's the problem. So, um, but I'm not going to stop today. Definitely, I'll, I'll leave it until after today and I'll <laughs> calm it down a little bit. Lucky, lucky us. But yeah, we'll keep it uh, very concise, you know. But anyways, <laughs> in this one, we're going to be talking about why and how Pat decided he was going to write a book or a memoir. Uh, and what was left on the cutting room floor? Is there anything that oh, just yeah. didn't make the cut? And then a unique book for a unique football. Looking at some of the things only Pat Nevin can pull off, like the names of his chapters, but I won't spoil that yet. Um, but look, we're obviously not going to tell you everything that's in it because we want you to go buy the book. Uh, Nick, Dan, and I have all bought it and read it and thoroughly enjoyed it. And so to help out, because we know not everyone has the ability to go buy it, we have two copies to give away. That is right. We are going to be giving away two copies of this book, uh, The Accidental Footballer, to our amazing community. We'll tell you how later in the show. So we're also going to make you earn it a little bit by listening to the full podcast. So uh, to kick it off, uh, Dan, I went and pulled some some book reviews to kind of kick it off. We've got Amazon and Goodreads here, well above a 4.0 rating uh, out of five on that one. And again, just some some appreciation to help set the scene. I was trying to think of like, how can I do a three-word match review, but for a book? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really fly that way. But I, I think these, uh, no surprise, uh, Pat Nevin uh, continues to get the praise, continues to get the adoration of people across all of these platforms. Again, as you mentioned, 4.6 out of 5 on Amazon, 4.17 on Goodreads. Five out of five from so many people talking about it, the self uh, self deprecating celebration of being unique, uniquely and stubbornly individual. But I thought that was probably my favorite of the ones that you pulled out, Brandon. In addition to the no accident, like that was just, the, like, just <laughs> quite quite a statement. Uh, have you have you seen any particular reviews for the book, Pat, that have surprised you, or maybe like where it's come from, or who's kind of said the the nice things? Um, look. Authors, I think, are generally the same. They look at the bad reviews first. That's what they do. And uh, let's, just, let's be honest about it. That's where you go. and Because that's sometimes where the real humor is. And uh, there's like 1% are really stinky reviews. And that's the ones where you just laugh your head off. Because it's it's, always, it's almost always people, the badge A, never read it. And, and I've just got a B in their bonnet about you. And everyone's got that. It doesn't matter who it is. We've all got that. 
and they're quite funny. And in mine, it's it's quite funny because it's all supporters of one team, and which is weird because you've read the book, right? Mm-hmm. And my, I was fanatical supporter of Celtic as a as a kid, and all the way through this book, Tom, this book goes to a age of twenty six, and I'm still a fanatic supporter of Celtic. Mm-hmm. All the abuse I get is from Celtic fans, so it's it's really weird. And you know, no spoilers, but I I am. Um, Celtic are no longer my team, you know, in Scotland. I've changed. I'm, I'm not, by the way, before I say that, I'm not a Rangers fan, which is yeah, their obsession. <laughs> in case anyone was confused yeah, how that works, yeah, that yeah. was never an option. No, no, no. no I've Hibernian's my team now. Anyway, so, you know, it's a, it's a good question. I'm going to ask, answer it semi-seriously. Um, during my career, um, the, the media were unbelievably nice to me. They were really kind to me. Fans were really nice to me. They put up with me flouncing about and, you know, doing tricksy stuff when I should have been, you know, <laughs> making the final pass. They're always kind to me, and Chelsea fans particularly. Um, so I tried not to take the, you know, the gushing praise too, too much to heart. And if that's the case, then you can't take the negativity either the extreme negativity too much to heart. So I'm the same with reviews. I was kind of just happy. But I do take some of the reviews that were in newspapers over here and people who'd read the book. And uh, some of the nice things that were said were, you know, shucks. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was lovely. But the more important thing is, and it's dead simple with me, I just want you, if you read it, I hope you enjoy it. Um, you might not necessarily... You know, somebody said, I hate, I'm going to give you going to give the perfect answer, right? Here it is. Somebody wrote to me and said, I read your book and your family and you had a big family and it was what you'd gone through and your moral position and a lot of things. And it, it just reminded me of growing up. You know, we had very, very similar backgrounds. And he signed it off in the bottom from Calcutta. And I went, what? <laughs> similar backgrounds from the East End of Glasgow or Calcutta in India. And that's what humanity is. If you you have these human feelings or things that you go through, yeah, it doesn't matter. If you can be New York, you can be New Delhi. I wish I'd have written that. That sounds quite good. (laughs) (laughs) Save it for Uh, the next one, obviously. Uh, Look, you, you were saying before we jumped on that, you know, you, you, you still have this competitive edge, right? Because you grew up as a footballer. And so your book makes the Sunday Times bestseller list. Uh, talk about maybe some of the success that you've had. I know you're a, a humble guy, but but the book is that good. Um, well, the nice thing is, it's, so a number of people, particularly Henry Winter on the Times, said it should be up for you know awards this year, which is a lovely thing for him to see because he's very well respected writer about football in general, not just football, just general. He's a very very respected writer, so that's an ultra positive thing. But you know, if somebody very very famous says something really nice, it means the same as you know, a member of my family, you know, mm-hmm. gushing to the point of saying, yeah, it's all right. Which is <laughs> 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 what you kind of get. Um, but all, you know, I've all you through, you know, different parts of my career and my life, I've had different things that I've done. And the football was one part of it. As you say, the DJing was another part. Um, I've done a lot of media work, of TV, radio, you name it. Um, the author is the current one. Um, I've got other things that I'd really like to do as well. But what you want to do is you want to give something back. So when you're doing it, whatever it is, whatever I've been doing, generally it's to to give pleasure to so people can enjoy it. They can 
A, relate to it, but B, actually get some fun and smile at it as well. Um, and the other thing somewhere in there, I, I hope I'm telling you something you might not be aware of um, or might not know, because that's what I love about anything I read or anything I, if I'm watching a game of football or if I'm reading Russian literature, I want something that I didn't know that I go, yeah, wow, I never thought of that. Fabulous, mm-hmm. I've learned something new. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I do it. I started doing it. And also, the joy of writing a book was just brilliant. The prologue, I don't know if any of you, now you're finished, remember the prologue and what actually pushed me on to writing this book. Because what it was is somebody said to me that I was writing for some other publication and they didn't want me to write my thoughts. They wanted me to chase clickbait. And I was like, fuming about it. And it actually pushed me into saying, no, even in this world, I'm just going to write it the way I want to write it um, and just give you the truth and give you the honesty and give you what it felt like within that industry. And one of the great joys of this book for me is you may have read, read football books before or any sports books or biographies, but particularly football books. It's great when you hear, you know, the view from the insider, doesn't it? That's what you're reading it for, isn't it? 100%, right? Mine's is different. I'm an outsider like us, and I'm kicked inside it. So I'm us inside <laughs> telling you what it's like. So it's not an insider. It's yeah. an outsider stuck right in the middle of it for 20 years telling you how weird it is. And I think maybe if it's different from any or many, if not all, hopefully, sports books you've read, that's the difference. A total outsider within the world. That doesn't mean I didn't like it. That didn't mean that I didn't, you know, lots of bits of it I fit, didn't fit in and enjoy it. But very much I was looked at it voyeuristically, the weirdness of it. So there's a great moment. I'll not give too much away. I don't know if you remember. There's a story I tell in the book. It's about two of the lads started fighting. Because fighting happens quite a lot in this book. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're usually quite humorous. Um, and it was Kerry Dixon or Senate Ford and Paul Cannaville, a winger, standing absolutely stark naked in a bar fighting with each other. And I'm just coming out of my degree looking, thinking, what am I doing in this world? <laughs> These people are mad. And they think I'm weird. No chance. They, they guys are the weirdos. So it was that kind of jump in as an outsider. And to be honest, I, I just love doing that and all the way through my career. And I never finished. I mean, this book takes me almost halfway through my football career. And you can see a mile away that I'm a total outsider. But it doesn't mean I don't like them or they don't like me. There's no reason. Outsiders are okay. We live in a world where people keep on telling you you are an outsider and you should try and conform. Don't need to. Think about it and really think about it. See the most of the people that you like or admire. Are the outsiders different? They are, aren't they? And don't be afraid to be. And that doesn't matter if you're a footballer working in an office be yourself yeah and obviously you definitely teed it off with a lot of the epilogue there that was like just a story of like hey pat we need you to this and you're like no shot and it's funny because that little story was kind of like the thread that goes through the book um so you've already answered the first question of you know why you decided that you're going to do the Mm -hmm. book uh which i think was obviously great um And I guess Big Nash was also asking, like, did you have any inclination while you were a player that you thought you'd write a book? My guess is that probably wasn't really a thing at that time, was it? Um, I, while I was a player, I kind of thought 
that when I stopped playing, I would be a writer, but a news journalist. Or a, a, I was writing at the time for art magazines, usually under a different name. I was using, I was writing for music. I was writing magazines and newspapers, the NME, the New Musical Express, uh, usually under a different name um, because I just liked writing. Um, it had been an absolute passion of mine. So it was in my mind somewhere that I would go into journalism. I quite like sports journalism. So sports journalism was sniffed at for many years until you Americans showed us how to do it. And that's true, <laughs> by the way. You know, from Tom Wolf, you know, the, the, the new journalists came along and changed it all. And I kind of absolutely loved learning about, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, you know, people that when they touched sport, there's a great piece by Hunter S. Thompson about the Kentucky Derby. I don't know if you've ever read it. And it's genius. And I thought, yeah, you can actually write about sports and you can be a good writer and it can be funny and it can be weird. And I kind of thought then, even during my playing days, all right, the idea of our autobiography, I do or a biography or a memoir or whatever. I, I think, no, I think you're absolutely spot on there. I agree with you. I, I, that would have been... Uh, the opposite of my thinking. The reason being, I didn't really particularly want to sell myself. And you can probably see that within the book. I'm not about selling myself. Um, I remember I used to do interviews and try and keep me out of the interview, even though the interview was about me. That was a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of very almost the opposite of what people do now, isn't it? Which is sell yourself and really push yourself forward. But, you know, if you... I, th I think probably the art or the ability or the interest should sell itself without you having to do it. You know, one of the things that, you know, you kind of talk about this, you know, being the outsider and you're kind of taking, you know, a, a great period of time in your career that you're pulling into and putting into this book. How did you find the process? Because obviously, you know, we've, we've been reading you in articles and, you know, seeing your kind of views on, on mainly football for, you know, and this is just a whole different piece, you know, where we're getting that, uh, the way you talk about being the outsider to me, it's like stranger in a strange land type of thing where mm -hmm. you're kind of evoking that type of feeling. And how, how was the, I guess the, the author process, the, the, the process of authoring this. Right. Can, can, can I say that's my favorite question I've been asked about the book yet. And I've probably done an, a hundred interviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, because the process is, is fabulously interesting. Um, a, I find it easy to write. So I, I wrote basically 120,000 words in about three or four weeks, you know, which is... Oh. The, exactly. It's weird. Wow. Uh, people find that, but it just flows. Now, I'm not saying it's a finished article then, you know, I need to go yeah. back and tidy it up and clean it up and make it kind of uh, run smooth and also have a kind of flow to it. But I love that bit of the process, which is almost stream of consciousness. Go through that, get the stories out. There's a kind of plan there where I need to get from there to there to there to there. There's a kind of skeleton, and the skeleton is basically the timeline. The timeline is, you know, as you go through time. But see, we Scots and the, the Gaelic peoples particularly, we've got, and you've probably noticed this already, we've got this terrible, terrible thing what we do is we tell you a story and then we go off and tell another one before we come back. Now, if you've ever heard Billy Connolly, that's what he does, right? He tells you a story, but halfway he goes and tells you another one and then another one. And then he comes back to the first one. And then it's, and that was my problem in writing this book. The structure to make sure that you can tell all these stories, but they're mingled, but they don't get mixed up. 
And that was going to be my biggest struggle, but I found a way around it. And that was the, the way around it. You may or may well have noticed. Um, I've got notes, and they're quite long notes, some of them. And they're almost like little stories in, in themselves. And then you go back to the main story. So when I was getting that structure and making sure it was fun and also making sure that, you know, you didn't do these terrible kind of massive U-turns for a really happy moment to a really horrible moment, that has to happen something because that's life. But it can put you up, could put the reader off, doesn't it? Um, so the whole structure of it and doing it, pulling it together, and then the moment where I kind of sort of finished it and then thought, I better show this to somebody. Because I hadn't told anyone who was writing it. Uh, I just wrote it. Um, so I didn't have a publisher. And this is the weird thing. If it never, ever got published, it wouldn't have bothered me. Because I just wanted to write it. It had to come out. And then taking it to the publisher and then go, the, the, my favourite line, I'd, I'm sure I said this to you before. The publisher read it. And he's a great publisher. And he said, he read it and he came back and he went, you can write. Which is the nicest thing in the world to hear. You actually can write from one of the best editors in the business. Um, and then that process then goes into, they look at it and they think, right, he came back with one chapter and they said, look, that chapter, just go and write it again. But don't write as a journalist, write it as you. That's the level of kind of help you get. You don't get people rewriting, but I don't anyway, I wouldn't allow it. Um, so all, all the different bits of the structure were really good. But the hardest bit, the absolute hardest bit was cutting stuff out. Because mm -hmm. I had far too much. Um, I mean, I just stopped writing, not because I'd run out of ideas. It's because I thought, there's too much here already. For people who don't know the, the word counts, one of these kind of uh, books would usually be 90,000 words. And I'd got to 120,000. And I was only 26. I mean, that's not right for a memoir. I've got. So, uh, but there was enough, hopefully enough in there to entertain people enough stories, enough background. Um, so I had, but I had to cut about 20,000 words worth of stories out. Um, and that was hard because, you know, a lot of them were, some of them were complete self-indulgences, man. Because you do that, don't you? So the sequel is intact then. The, yeah, the there it is. The is, uh, is ready. You've got 20,000 well, good to go. <laughs> well, I don't know how much of that 20,000 will make it, but what actually happened was um, I took the book and they liked it and then they put it out. Um, and the reaction was really lovely, really fantastic. Um, it's obviously sold well enough for um, them to be interested in it again. Anyway, on the day it came out, <clears throat> they had the, the publisher. When I say publisher, it's just one guy. They're a big publishing organisation. Can I tell you a secret here? Right, secret, everyone. <laughs> you shouldn't tell secrets online, but I'm going to anyway. Um, they're a publishing company, and it's called Octopus, right? But in actual fact, because and I'm an, an indie kid, you know, with my indie music, and I wouldn't go in a big label kind of thing. <laughs> but they're really part of Hatchet, which is huge company, right? So it's just like it's like Warner Brothers, but it's, it's rough trade, but it's really part of Warner Brothers, that sort of thing, you know. Anyway, um, I met him for the, for lunch you know, on the day the book was published, and uh, he said to me, he said, look, the reactions before we've even sold a copy and the pre-sales have been great. He said, look. Have you thought about it? How long will it take you to do part two? I said, here it is. Give me <laughs> <laughs> on a USB stick. <laughs> ah, there it is. I'd actually I'd written part two before part two one came out, and uh, which is mad. 
an unusual thing. And I don't think most publishing houses are used to that sort of attitude. Um, but the second part was mental. Uh, it's bizarre. It's just, and I'll give you a few flavours of that one later as well. Um, so the whole structure of it was interesting. The, being a writer is interesting. But once again, just like my football career, I didn't do it the way everybody else did. <laughs> I did it my own way. That That is true. And that came through in the book, which, you know, I, again, all honesty, we met you as a pundit, then as a footballer, right, over here in America. And so getting to go back, and you broke it down into Glasgow, London, and Everton, and getting to to you know, relive some of those things and like hear about, you know, your life growing up. And then you're like, you made, you finally made the big move to London. And then that latter part of your career that Chelsea fans don't really remember as well, but obviously it's near and dear to your heart and and rightfully so. Uh, It's just really interesting. And Techie Tiger even asked from, you know, when you wrote the book, what section of the book was your favorite to write about? Did one of them kind of just flow more in your mind or maybe a little bit more nostalgic than the others? Um, Right, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm sure I said to this to you last time we chatted. I will give you honest answers. I don't care what you ask me. I will just give you honest answers. Right, here's the honest one. Um, there's a section in the book where um, a number of stories came together, and particularly one going to the Middle East with Chelsea. And I met a very interesting person while I was there, mm-hmm. <laughs> who most people in the world will be aware of this guy's name. So no spoilers. I won't say it to anyone who hasn't read it. But it was like writing a travelogue. It was like travel writing when I was writing it. Uh, and I've kind of always been, I've always liked travel writing. Um, so I was able to lose myself in the description of the internal part of that city, this, the madness and the stupidity of what was going on with me going walking through this city and the dangers of it. Um, <clears throat> meeting that weird person, looking at the fake news. I mean, hey, you think fake news is new? Nah, fake news was there in 1985, man, and it was there big. Um, so when I was writing uh, the travel scenes, because uh, I love traveling, um, I spent some time in Bulgaria, and I talk about that in the book, um, where I had a couple of adventures over there. There's also a part of the book where I do write about my travels around Europe on Interrail and when I was a student, when I had, and you know this, but not everyone will, I had turned down Chelsea for an entire year because I didn't <laughs> want to be a professional footballer, which is the oddest thing. You look at it now and people go, you can't be telling the truth. And they just said, well, have a look at the newspapers then because Chelsea kept on trying to buy me and I kept on saying, no, I'm doing a degree. That's more important. <laughs> the, that's the madness of where my head was. But I, I also went traveling that summer. And uh, there's a lovely moment. I'll give, you, I'll give away one spoiler, which is one of my favourite moments. And writing about it was joyous as well. Because when we went round with our backpacks, you know, and tents, but this time I'm playing professional, you know, but part-time professional with Clyde. And we go around Europe and go to these fabulous cities and you get ill and you fall off more bikes and all that sort of stuff. But at one point we had no money and we were in the in centre of Rome and uh, we had no lira as it was in those days. Euros hadn't been invented and uh, we were starving. So I had to find a way of making money. And they all looked at me, my two mates who were with me looked at me. And my one thing that I was allowed to bring, because we we're all allowed to bring a luxury means, was obviously a football. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went and did some 
keepy ups and tricks and you know they've they've got names for it now. But I'd always done these tricks with a, a ball, you know, rolling it around my neck, rolling it in my head, balancing that sort of stuff. And I managed to put a cap out and make enough money for three lasagnas. And I loved writing all that stuff um, and building it up and building stories up about that travelling. But the lovely thing about it was a lot of that travelling was with football. So it wasn't as if I was having to jump out of the story because I was travelling with, you know, Scotland or Chelsea or or Everton near the end as well. Um, So the travelling. I'm going to give you a one-word answer in a minute, but... (laughs) but, I loved writing the travel stuff. The, the travel stuff was an absolute joy because who doesn't love either A, traveling, particularly after the last two years, this planet's gone through, or um, or B, reading about traveling. Uh, so that was, I loved them. I loved those bits. So look, you, you've been talking about a, a little bit about the, the editing process and culling down the story and making it cohesive maybe give us one or two things, especially if, well, yeah, especially if they're not a part of part two already, right. That, that got left on the cutting room floor that you were not able to include. There were maybe self-indulgent or maybe just things that, that didn't quite make it because I think we're always fascinated with, you know, what makes a book and what doesn't quite make well, a book or script. I'll, 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 I'll give you one, which I took out for a different reason. Right. Um, I've just said, you remember who I supported as a kid, right? I'd supported the same team all my life, right? Um, <clears throat> and there's a few stories about Celtic tried to buy me three or four times, twice during my time at Chelsea, but it never happened. I didn't want to leave Chelsea anyway, so it wasn't going to happen. And by that point, I'm now falling madly in love with Chelsea. And that kind of passion is the one that survived. <laughs> it never left. Um, I'm going to tell you, right, okay, I'll tell you this one. We tell you to, I'll tell you this one very quickly. I like to give asides and these little stories I was telling you about. And I put a few in that I then took out. One of them was when I was talking about playing for Everton against Chelsea. And I scored for Everton against Chelsea at the shed end. I mean, honestly, a lot of people give it the old, oh, I'm not celebrating. Oh, you know, it's all show. I was devastated at having his score again. Honestly, I was I was actually one and one with Dave Besson thinking, I can't do this. I said, I can't. And then I did. Um, but it was really, really weird, right? But then I was going to go into this aside, which I cut. So the aside was, after my time at uh, Evan, um, I left. And I had, it was about six months later, and it was Chelsea were coming up to play against Everton at Goodison Park. Now, by this point in time, I'm still living up, living, I'm now playing for Tranmere, but I'm still living up that area because that's very close to Everton. So I have to make a decision. I'm going to go to the Chelsea Everton game, but I need to know which end I'm going to go to. Now, in those days, you could walk and go. Uh, and I, anyway, obviously I walked in the Chelsea end been six months before having been a, an Everton player. And uh, the Chelsea fans, rather embarrassingly, all sang my name. I've never been so embarrassed in my life because all the Everton fans are going, you little get, you were playing for us <laughs> six months ago. And they just, but that was always my team. So there was another moment which didn't make the book, but which probably will, which later, I was at Tranmere for a couple of years and I was going to put this in as an aside. And after a couple of years, 
Um, a number of teams tried to buy me. One of them was Bolton Wanderers. Now, Bolton at the time were in the Premier League and Tramia were the top of the league below. And somebody phoned me up, E. McNeil, who was the old assistant manager at Chelsea. And he said, Bolton, we want to buy you, Pat. And I said, look, I do things the right way. Just phone up the club, Tramere, and put the bid in. Um, and if, it's, if it can be arranged, it can be arranged. So I went home and talked to my wife about it. And uh, we talked about it and we thought, Tramere and Bolton hate each other, right? That's number one. So it's tough to move. Number two, yes, I'm moving back to the Premier League. But Bolton were getting hammered every week and Tramere were winning. And we actually might go up. But the most important thing was I was actually loving my time at Tramere really happy playing some of my best football with a team that I liked. And we talked about it, and eventually I said, nah, but I'm not going to do it to Annabelle, my wife, right? Anyway, about three days later, the manager calls us into the room, he's in the office, and he said, Pat, I want to let you know there's been a bid for you. I went, before you go any further, just want to let you know, I'm not interested. Mr. Ernest here, you will know about my earnestness. I said, no, no, not interested. I love it here at Tramia. Promise to get us to the Premier League. I'm going to stick it. I'm going to push it forward and I'm not interested. And he goes, that's fantastic. That's the best we've ever heard. That's great, actually. As I walked out, do I know who it was? Pat. I went, oh, yeah, who was it? Uh, Celtic. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I got, there's lots of stories which I could have put in and would have fitted in, but I took them out. Some of them were, there's a lot of stories about musicians. There's a great story Hopefully, I think it's a good story, but Morrissey, who mm -hmm. I became friends with. Um, but there was other musicians who were great friends of mine. Um, and they were in. But I had to almost pick the best of them. You didn't want them all because you think, oh, that reminds me of the Morrissey story. But it wasn't quite as good. So it's a bit like that. It's not that it didn't happen. It's just that, yeah, I've got a story. About, I could have put a story out of, about Barney from New Order. But I had the Morrissey story in. So I... Yeah, we'll not put both of them in kind of thing. So that's kind of the way some of the cutting happened and um, more than anything else. Great. Well, uh, we are going to pause. We're going to take our ad break, uh, but I promise we have a lot more coming afterwards. Uh, thanks to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right. So the next part, you know, we talked about how it was a unique book for a unique football. And that was, you know, your whole angle, the accidental footballer. You were focused on academics. You yeah. You had your career planned out. Um, in your mind, you were going one way and you somehow didn't end up going that way. And so, like I said, some of the things that only I feel like Pat and Nevin can pull off the outsider on the insider, as you put mm -hmm. it earlier, uh, the layup, I'm going to take the layup gentlemen. You guys get the deep ones. Uh, Thank the you. chapter titles are all song titles. Of course you would do that. <laughs> but then our friend Gana Zagina said, did you have any trouble naming any of these chapters since they're all song titles? Yeah, yeah it's a great question. Um, they're not, every track isn't one of my very, very favorite tracks. There's a couple in there, one, of them, one that my daughter loves, one's one of my wife loves. Mm. Um, well, they just happen to fit the idea of the, 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 the meaning behind it. I mean, there's one of the, track, uh, the, the chapters is called, um, and I, I tell you this, the secret, and again, there's a secret in here it's kind of layered. So if you want to delve deep enough, you can find there's one of the tracks is called uh, uh, oh God, I can't remember. Let me, give me a second. Give me a second. You need a help? Oh. Come, do you know what? I'm going to come back to that minute. Yeah, right. This is mad. Right. Give me. I'm going to walk away and come back. <laughs> 
Hey, when it's your book, your interview, you can do what you want. I'm looking up my book now. Um, oh, Read along, nice. students. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. There we go. Right. I'll be honest. Right. Four chapters. Four chapters. Staying. Right. Anyway, the chapter is called I'll Be Honest. And it's by a little band called Spook School. And they're from Scotland. And they're great. And they're a punky indie kind of, but great tunes, man. Fabulous tunes. But the name of the chapter, this song is I'll Be Honest With You. Because, and there's a kind of bracket when you actually know the song. It's called because you'll probably be too drunk to remember. That's the next line. And this is about Howard Kendall, this, <laughs> this chapter. Ah, uh, clever. But you wouldn't know it. So the, there's a kind of real thought into quite a lot of the titles. They're good tunes. Um, most of them mean something to me. But most of them, they all will mean something about the actual um, chapter itself. And there was a wee bit of me that thought, particularly the tunes that you'll know, like the first chapter is called Do You Remember the First Time, which is a classic pulp track. Now, if you know that song, you start reading, it's going to be an earbug in the back of your ear while you're reading. And I kind of like that idea. So I gave that a wee bit of thought. I, de- I definitely gave that some thought. Um, but it's being a complete, complete music fanatic, it really wasn't difficult to find song titles. In fact, I cut a lot more out than I used. Um, and there's plenty more for part two. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. You, you make the, you know, obviously, uh, I think kind of leaning into this conversation about the music. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously you are you know, have great social interests. You, you are exceptional footballer and, and kind of pundit as well. And then, but, you know, there's also this kind of confluence of how, the music brought you to Chelsea and how that really yeah. kind of coalesced appropriately. I thought this might be a good thing to kind of just open up that bottle a little bit, let it breathe a little bit to get people connected. Cause I don't think people make that connection of how important that was to you actually being a member of the, the blues. Dan, how many times have you read this book? <laughs> Clearly a few times. <laughs> I know your stuff, man. Um, no, right. What it was is I did love music and you know, going to gigs even though I love playing football, and that's the dichotomy of the book and my life, I loved playing football, but didn't necessarily want to be a footballer. I know it sounds really odd, but you can actually play football all the time and not be a professional. I think we all know that. And I'd get as much joy if I was playing in front of 10 people or 100,000. So that, I didn't desperately want to do that. But I always had that dilemma where if there was a game on the Wednesday night when I was like 16 or 17, Glasgow had this brilliant music scene at the time. But if I had the game on, but there was a gig on that night, oh, nightmare. I mean, like, <laughs> so I'm going to give you a list of people that I missed because of football, and it still hurts. I had a ticket for Bob Marley and the Whalers. I couldn't go because I was playing for Clyde that night. And I thought, well, I'll go next time. Then Bob died before that. There was other, I mean, actually, I could spend the next 10 minutes doing that. So, that's what was happening with me. I was having to make these decisions. And sometimes I was going to a game, if it was an evening game, and I'd be flying out the door to get to see the last half hour of this gig. And that's how much I loved the music. Then when Chelsea came in, and I'm trying to make a decision whether to go to London, because I come from Glasgow, and then I realised London is the epicentre. Everyone plays London. Uh, so if you want to see gigs, you'll not see any more than any. In any other city in the world, maybe New York could come close, 
very few, to be honest. And the way the music that I liked was London was it. And I'm so Chelsea giving me a job. They're going to pay me some money. I'm going to be living in the centre of the city. And there's every gig I want to see around. I mean, come on, what's not to love? So the, the football was a draw. And then as soon as I get, got down, there was a, I had a hero. My heroes were never really footballers. They were, you know, writers or whatever. Um, and I loved some footballers just purely for their ability. Um, it was never necessarily because it was my team. I just liked pure talent. Um, but in actual fact, I had a hero amongst all of the heroes, a guy called John Peel. And John Peel was maybe the greatest DJ of finding new acts and new bands and be it anyone from, you know, Led Zeppelin to Radiohead, you know, he found so many, like, you can't believe. And he was the man and I always just wanted to meet him once. It's like, we've all got, can I go around the room here? Who's the one person you wanted to meet? Just once to say hi. Oh. Go on. Yeah, see, it's, there must be somebody. One person. You just say, as long as it may be, it can be historical. Anything, doesn't matter. You know, it could be the Pope if you're a Catholic. It could be, you know, you name it. Hey, just for layup purposes, like Petr Cech, I he's the one who brought me to Chelsea. I'd love to sit down with him also because he's so intellectual. You could probably talk to him for 10 hours and, and also do it in five different languages. Hey, can I give you a wee Peter Cech story in a minute? And Have I told you anything about Peter Cech and Billy Gilmore and myself? No. All right, right well you right, well you two think of your name. I'll give you that. Yes. Yeah, give us some time to stall, please. I'm at the Champions League final. Um when we I can't believe we beat Man City, obviously. It was fantastic. Porto. And they dragged me down to the party afterwards. And I'm at the party. You know, really dragged oh, me down. It was really so hard to go to the party. <laughs> the Roman and the guys, and Thomas. <laughs> so I'm at the party. Uh, where where I almost destroyed the, the trophy. Because I leant against it and nearly, and I, I didn't know it was there. And I leant back. And the party was in this old port building where it had been done up. Roman had spent a few quid. And I leaned against something and I didn't realize it was the trophy. And it was falling, <laughs> but it was cobblestones below it. I just, I just battered the life out of it, honestly. And I caught it. And my, anyway, I'd walked in and the first person I met, it was about two in the morning, the first person I met was you, Billy. Yeah, I've known we Billy, obviously being Scottish a, a, a bit. Billy had had a few. You know, it had a few. <laughs> rightly so. And I'm going, I'm going to try very hard. My accent may be quite difficult for some of the listeners. It's going to get a lot more difficult now, right? <laughs> but stay with me. So we Billy sees me walking in and he goes, Yeah, buddy, how you doing? Man, come over here, Pat. Come over here. Absolutely out of it. And I go over and we chat, and he goes, oh, I want a selfie with you, Pat. I want a selfie with you. And I went, right, Billy, I think I should get the selfie with you. You've got a Champions League medal around your neck. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, we started chatting. He's getting his selfie taken. And Peter Cech walks over from about 20 yards away, and he spots me, and he, he waves to say hello. And he's walking over towards me. And he goes, hi, Pat. And I go to wave. And me, Billy, spots him. He goes, I'll leave us alone, Peter. I'm talking to Pat. <laughs> just completely palms Peter Check off. I'm going, you can't do that. <laughs> and that's what he did. But Peter laughed his head off. Um, so Peter's he's he's top man as well. Um anyway, have you two thought yet? You're top. Let, let me 
let me give you a, a one for nostalgia's sake, and it's only because we've heard so many incredible stories about him. I'll throw Ray Wilkins into the mix. Mm. You wouldn't be disappointed. Lovely, lovely, fabulous man. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Now you can't die. Go and find him. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm a big uh, cinephile, so I think uh, having to an opportunity to sit down with Kubrick and kind of pick his brain oh, wow. or, would have been a really fun uh, conversation. Uh, I think that's a fabulous, fabulous answer. I'll go with that. I, funnily enough, all right, we're going weird places here. This is the problem with me. You start a normal conversation and <laughs> go somewhere else, right? I actually once had, was fortunate enough to have a, a chat with Werner Herzog, a brilliant German film director. Wow. And Herzog... It's the funniest thing about this. It's amazing. You're one of my favorite directors, you know. I love Kubrick, obviously, as well. Ice check. Ice wide shot was a bit weird, wasn't it? Anyway, um, he said to me, I just wanted to be a footballer. And it's amazing how many people you meet, you think of these gods of these other genres. And of course, in actual fact, they would love to do what you did. Um, anyway, to go back to the original question, which I have had remembered, or the original point was John Peel was my guy mm-hmm. that I felt that way about. And when I came down to London, I thought, if, if I just met him at a gig and just shook his hand and said hi, that would be enough. Anyway, as, as is told in the book, how A, I got to meet him, and how B, we ended up becoming friends for the rest of our lives, uh, which is an amazing thing. Very close friends with the person who you wanted more than anyone else in the world just to meet once. So the music was big. The people in the music industry was big. Most of my best friends uh, at the time were either musicians, actors, or not by the way, or, or a bin man, or a refuse collector. It didn't matter. I just I just kind of liked interesting people. Um, but certainly lots of musicians were mates of mine as well. Well, it's a good, it's a good point about heroes, right? Because I think uh, our next point of discussion will be uh, around a hero, that's Paul Cannaville. Uh, you have a lot of stories in the book about Paul, and you know, obviously, it stood out as a, a major point of your career for football reasons, but also, I mean, just the tremendous uh, implications that followed him, kind of being a, a barrier breaker uh, in a lot of ways. Can you can you maybe just elaborate and, and feel free to to flow on this uh, yeah. about your relationship with him and you know, kind of what that meant to you coming through Chelsea? I'm going to bring it right up to date, and I mean this week. Um, <laughs> well, first of all, I mean, I come from Glasgow. We're quite an activist city, They're quite socialist. No, socialist is wrong, but have a social feeling and make sure to take care of everyone else. So I'd been brought up with the concept of racism just wasn't acceptable. But we lived in a time of casual racism, uh, certainly in the UK. It was quite big. Um, and we just... Without being over earnest about it, we just didn't accept it, you know. And it was something that was we just didn't put up with. Anyway, I come down and play for Chelsea, and then I suddenly find out one of our own players is getting racially abused, which every black player was in those days. But I thought football was accepting it too easily. And okay, so I'm only 19, but I still think the time you talk out, speak out about it, no one was speaking out because it was just part of the culture. But when the abuse was aimed at Paul. Um, week in, week out, but then one particular game at Crystal Palace, and uh, I just couldn't, I can, I just wouldn't cope with it. Now, I'd been talking about it before a few times in various places, but this time I'd scored the winning goal, <coughs> and I just refused to talk about football after again and just said, No, I'm not having it. This is unacceptable. And by the way, it was some of our own inverted commas alleged fans 
Um, and I just went on a rant about it, furious. Because I was just so angry that it should happen to anybody. But happening to Paul, who was one of my mates, it just so I got very annoyed about it and asked the question of why football wasn't, a, you know, taking this head on. Because I felt that football could be in the vanguard of changing some of that sort of abusive stuff that was going on unfairly. Um, so I, I do write about that quite extensively in the book. And Paul was a, he's in his music. We were both street kids from very different streets, may I add. Very <laughs> different types of streets. I mean, he was the king. You know, he, honestly, he sounded, when he talked, he could sound like John Shaft. If anyone knows who that is, or Barry White, or Nick Villani. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's the that's the real trio right there. The real deep voice. And uh, so we were just great friends, but I just felt the football. And it was kind of odd because at the time no one was speaking about it. And for someone to stand up, especially a kid, a 19-year-old, but it wasn't me being brave. It was just me being what us Scots and Glaswegians were like. We just, we'll speak up about what we feel is injustice. And football's got there to a degree over the years, and it's finally, you know, it's unacceptable within it. But Paul's, Paul's story is an incredible one we went through. And Paul does... <coughs> now, Paul's actual play, I don't I think he may have played 100 games for Chelsea, you know, so and a lot of them would have been substitute appearances. You know, so, he's, you know, his effect in the field was good, but not one of their greatest ever players. But it wasn't about that, was it? It was about he was the first. He wasn't the first black player either, but he was the first black first team player who made an impact. And uh, we just stayed friends and backed each other up. And even the bad times through his life. And by the way, if you don't buy my book, buy Paul's book. It mm. is genius. It is brilliant. Um, he co-wrote it with I can't remember one of our, the real Chelsea legends. <laughs> and uh, it's a it's a cracker, honestly. A guy who's addicted to crack twice, he's almost died twice in the book. And by the way, and since then, he's almost died again. Um, he's got a story you wouldn't believe, <clears throat> uh, and also the fact that he's got um, eleven children by ten different mothers, which is a bit weird. <laughs> Not my style at all. Um, but I just adored the guy. Anyway, bring it right up to there. Um, Chelsea were playing Norwich just last week. And uh, it was live. Is that the, is that how you describe that? What happened? Uh, they weren't playing Norwich. Nor- Norwich basically turned up and stood there. <laughs> so, uh, which was fun. Uh, which was a joy to watch. I mean, it's, that's been it's going to happen at some point because Chelsea are such a good team. <laughs> so um, eventually, um, they, 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 somebody had asked if I could do a little documentary on Paul, and I said, well. Yeah, we just wait three or four minutes. Then. So the way we agreed is, I I wrote a letter to Paul, telling him what I thought of him, and he walks in the shop, picks up the letter and reads it. And I said, Gene, go online and find it. Just find it. It's, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Anyway, the reaction over here has been huge um, to that little three or four minute piece. So much so that the people who made it came back and touched me and said. We're going to make a full documentary of it. And I went, that wasn't the agreement, but it's about Paul, so let's do that. And also it's about what Paul went through and how he's got to where he is just now, what happened back in those days. Because it's difficult to think now. The past is a different country. You know, they do things differently there. And we need to explain to people what it was like in the past and why we shouldn't make sure that never happens again. 
Well, it's fair. And I, you know, look, I think we were so thrilled to see the Paul Cannaville suite unveiled this season mm-hmm. at Stanford Bridge as well. And that, you know, Chelsea continuing to embrace him, you know, first back player to play for the club. I mean, that's that's a big deal. Um, so really excited. So when we got to that part of the book, again, your view from in it and, and sharing those experiences, I think it'll really surprise some people uh, kind of what it was at, at that time, too, and, and how much you're kind of sticking your neck out there. Because no spoilers, there were some interesting conversations after that interview. Yeah. Had. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so, and, best, a lot of people would have thought I could have get kicked out of the game for saying it. That's how bad it was. Yeah. So, which, which, yeah. Thankfully today that it we're on the other side of that, we're actually like players walking off and we're trying to figure out if that's the right play. So thankfully we're in the right direction, albeit nowhere close to where it needs to be. Uh, a couple questions just from our listeners as we wrap here. Um, one from Kyle saying, do you have a favorite Chelsea memory? Uh, there's one in the book, which I, I talk about. And you may remember it. It's uh, I meet an, an old man walking away from the game and it's, just walking away from the game. And I speak to him and it absolutely encapsulates everything I felt about my life and my, uh, why I played football. But I'll not throw that in. I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, if you flick through that book, which you've got in front of you there, there is a picture of me sitting on the edge of the stand, mm-hmm. the main stand, and we've just got promotion. <clears throat> and it is a moment in time. You don't, if you spin the camera around, the entire pitch was full of Chelsea fans. They'd all come on. We were sitting up there. And I'd come down. I'd been there a year. And it had taken us just one year to get Chelsea back in the big team. And we'd done it with style. But there was a, you're always looking at the next battle, the next win, the next game. You're, there's always, you can't look back. But every now and again, you can have a moment. And sit and breathe and sigh and go, yeah. This is where I want to be more than anywhere else in the world just now. <laughs> and it may be the yeah, Cesar, as Plaqueta, maybe lifting the Japanese League trophy, you know. And then for lots of us, we've all got our own moments. But for Chelsea fans, the way they'd followed us this year, because remember that year, can remember, I'm talking about some Chelsea fans that done that. The vast majority of Chelsea fans were unbelievably good. And they've followed us everywhere and they, they made such sacrifices and they outsang everybody everywhere they went. And by the way, Newcastle yesterday, exactly the same. So it's mm-hmm. not changed, which is great news. Um, and Thomas Tuchel was mentioning that today as well, wasn't it? So if I, I had to boil down to a moment, there's a picture, the picture's in the book. And that's a moment which, uh, when I die, um, it'll be one of the ones that will jump through my head just before I go. It was that good of day. Uh, Gabriel had a question <laughs> asking uh, a bit more about that writing routine, too, because, uh, again, uh, multifaceted uh, Pat Nevin. Uh, we have to kind of cover all the gamuts here. But he asked about your routine for writing. Like, do you have a what's the rhythm? What's the, the way that you get into it? Do you have a preferred cup of tea or drink you have to have? <laughs> Is there specific tunes? Like, what's the actual like Pat Nevin process? Hey, I can't listen to music. No music, which is surprising. But it just takes my mind off it. So the music's off. Of course, Um, you get immersed in it. You start to listen to it. I I get that. (laughs) Yeah. So music's off. Even though I love music, music's off. (laughs) No, in actual fact, I can can tell you, it becomes an addiction. It actually becomes an addiction. Not in a kind of 
oh, it's hard not to do it. It's a, when I wake up, I want to get on the computer. I want to get typing. I've got so many ideas. I've went to bed, you know, and maybe I've done an hour before we go to bed or two hours before we go to bed. And then I thought, actually, that's a good idea. I'll think about that. And by the morning, your brain's taking you somewhere else. You might get it all down and you're this. So for me, it was it was desperate to find it. And my wife was coming downstairs saying, are you ever going to go away from that computer? Because I kind of hadn't told her what I was doing to start with. So um, it's very simple. Millions of cups of tea, uh, a few cups of coffee. Um, and then I've well, done it mostly when my wife was work. By the big thing underlined, this was all written before the pandemic. So it's not when they sit down during the pandemic when we're all stuck out. No, it was all gone before then. <clears throat> but my wife was out working, um, you know, quarter to nine in the morning, back in at half past three. And so obviously, if I was not at a football game or doing one of my other jobs, I just sat in front of that computer and got completely and utterly immersed. And it's a bit like one of those black holes you go in, you go to YouTube looking for some banjo like, and then <laughs> six hours later, you've come out and gone, oh, that was 10 minutes. Well, I'm a bit like that when I write. It's, you think you've been there for 25 minutes and four hours have gone by and you're starving. So that's that's the methodology. It's just, and funnily enough, with my daughter, a much, much smarter person than I ever will be, um, she's, got, she's got it more than me. She's one of these people, and I didn't understand it when she was younger, because you tell her something, she can ignore you. And you'd ask her again, she'd, and you're saying it's time to go, and she would ignore you. It used to drive me nuts. But it, I was wrong. Some people, and I would warn you, any parents out there, beware of this with your children, because it's actually, it's a talent. She became so focused in what she was doing, she actually couldn't hear. And as years rolled by, I realized this. Now, she's a doctor now, and it was a level of intelligence and burrowing into something. And, and I've got a wee bit of that. I've, that. I can burrow into something and get completely utterly lost we all can to different things but for me that happens with my writing well look uh so for for those who have listened to uh, almost an hour of pat's stories <laughs> you're go, welcome one you're welcome <laughs> two uh it is incumbent upon you to go buy this book so that is our call to action here go buy the book pat is there any particular place where you would have folks uh buy the book um, I think uh, to promise it's probably Amazon. You need to get on Amazon, really, if you're in the states. Um, you know, I, I always push people back in the UK to go to the the little individual shops. You know, Waterstones yep. and all the big shops. Everybody knows about them. But if you look around, you've got a little bookstore nearby. Just to ask them to order it in. You know, and I'm not just saying my book. I mean any book, reading and books. They're really important in life. They, I really do think they are. Um, and if you can he keep your local little stores open, it, it really helps. So and if you can go say, look, this is the book I want, be it mine, be it Paul Carnival's, be it anyone's, go and ask them and they'll, they'll order it and they'll get it for you. And it will mean a lot to them that they can do that for you. So that, that's the one that would, I'd go to. But hey, if you want it quick, go on to Amazon, they'll, they'll get it to you it's like lightning quick. And there's nothing, nothing wrong with that as well. What I would like to say to anyone who is listening, um, you really don't need to be a football fan to actually read this book. I mean, there's football in it. I mean, well, there is, but you, know, you don't. It's actually not actually all about that, really. And the most important thing is if you do read it, I really hope you like it. 
I'm so happy you mentioned the, the reviews that it's got. I mean, it's something like 95% is four and a half, uh, four and a half out of five, or five out of five. Um, so the people that have liked, have read it, have liked it. And that's all that's important to me. So if you do get around to reading it. And the other thing is, see if you ever want to ask a question, just tweet me a question. And if you read the book, I'll, I'll answer you. Someone's like that. Direct to the author himself. Uh, we are giving away two copies of the book. We bought two extra copies ourselves. Um, and all you have to do uh, when you see this promo tweet go out as soon as we release the episode, we're going to ask you to retweet it so we get a little bit more uh, pub for Pat. We're going to ask you to comment uh, on the tweet, tag two friends, and just tell Pat who your favorite band is. That's all you have to do. Oh, yeah, I'm into that. See? I mean, great news. Very easy, non-football-related thing that you can do. And, and then we have a little bit of a dialogue going, which is cool. Yeah, we're excited to be able to share this, uh, like I said, with a couple of people. For everyone else, um, don't hesitate. Go get your own copy. Uh, you won't be disappointed. Um, we we read it thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And the fact that we were able to to have you on, Pat, is great. So thanks for the time and, and sharing some of the stories. We really appreciate it. And I'll go now and rest my voice because I'm doing the commentary for the Malmo game. Yeah, um, I've got a book, a book festival coming up on the Wednesday. I'm back down doing another one next week as well. So, um, you know, I've got a tough life, Harmony. Uh, yeah. Well, we're here to help any way we can. So, anyways, and, uh, yeah. Look forward to seeing you at the Evan game, by the way. Yes, absolutely. Yes, the Pat and Evan Darby is as we know it over here. So, uh, anyways, hope you enjoyed the episode. Again, links in the description for everything. Um, but this has been great. So, we're excited to be able to bring off the, these one off specials. If there's other uh, former player books that you think we should read and, and discuss, let us know. We'd love to. Um, but that's going to wrap us up. So, until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.